Welcome to the Stainless Souls Podcast, brought to you by the Realization of Stainless Souls, a come-as-you-are church of recovery and discovery. Today is episode 12, Thoughts on First Thoughts. been learning in bits and pieces that man is a soul encased in a physical body and that the soul is fully encased as is the entire universe within the mind of God. So everything that we sense through our physical body, through our sight, hearing, taste, smell, tactile touch, and emotions is all happening within the realm of God's mind. The soul is 100% spirit. And as we state regularly on this broadcast, it is incorruptible, invulnerable, immortal, and stainless stainless souls. And it always has been and it always shall be that way. But we get the opportunity to participate in the physical universe by taking on a suit of clothes that we refer to as a body. And while we're in the body, we have the opportunity to exercise our free choice And that free choice can be boiled down to continuing to explore more and more of what it means to be manifested within the physical and material universe. In other words, becoming more and more attached to or desirous of things that are experienced only with a physical body. Or the other choice we can make is to really explore the spiritual side of our individuality and recognize the truth of our soul as an individualized part of divinity, part of God, and continue to move closer and closer to our reality or our truth. It is said in some traditions that sin is simply moving away from the truth toward that which is more physical and more material. But at no time does man, true man, suffer any condemnation from God because man is of God. Man is in the image of God. Man is a child of God. And God would not punish man for being a man or woman. So we have eternity to experience that which we choose to experience in the physical universe 
and or in the spiritual universe and potentially in numerous other dimensions and realms that we are not aware of currently because of our encasement in a physical body. Some teachings suggest that there are as many as 10 or 11 different dimensions, and the time-space dimension is but one of those. So I, I bring that up because in life, And as people who are particularly suffering with addiction, codependency, PTSD, suicidal ideation, and homelessness, we allow ourselves to be convinced that we've done bad things and that we're going to be condemned and damned for all eternity. And some of us get to the point where we start to consider ideas, well, what, what is the point of trying to not sin, of trying to be good, if there's no chance for me because I'm already damned based on what I've done? And I think that those thoughts are part of the illusion and that the truth can be found, as always, in meditation, that every person is an individual manifestation of God where a soul consisting of spirit is encased within a physical body in order to experience the physical and material world. And no matter what we do in the time-space dimension, our souls remain incorruptible, invulnerable immortal and stainless. The issue arises when we find ourselves in disharmony with the absolute. And by disharmony, I mean when we begin to suffer and continue to suffer in the time-space dimension as a result of things that we have or haven't done in the time-space dimension. And that disharmony is due primarily to moving further and further away from our core nature, our true nature, our true identity, ourself as an individualized manifestation of the absolute. And when disharmony begins to grow in our lives, we have the opportunity to withdraw from the time-space dimension in a graduated way back toward our center, back toward that which we truly are, back toward our soul. And in the process of doing so, we begin to harmonize again with the absolute and our suffering eases. And I think that you'll find, at least on the gross level or the coarse level, the further away you move from your center, that which you truly are, the more you suffer. And as you move closer to that which is true for you, the less you suffer. And it's an oscillation all through life, back and forth further away from your center, 
more suffering, back towards your center, less suffering. And we're going to have several sessions on harmony and disharmony in future podcasts. But today I wanted to talk about thoughts on first thoughts. And to introduce the topic, I'm going to read a single paragraph from the big book of AA out of the chapter, There is a Solution. And it goes like this. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable, at certain times, to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. And from that and other similar text in the big book, in 12-step recovery programs, we come to believe or learn to believe or learn from experience the truth that it's not the last drink that kills us. It's the first one. It's not the last drink that gets us drunk. It's the first one. And the hardest drink to defend against is the first one. And for people who have become alcoholic, there is no defense within their mind, body, soul against that first drink. And therefore, those of us in 12-step recovery require a spiritual experience and the maintenance of an ongoing spiritual condition in order to provide for us that which we cannot provide for ourselves, and that is defense against the first drink. And the teaching goes on to say that provided that an alcoholic maintains that spiritual condition, he will be provided with that defense on a daily basis, or he will be provided with a daily reprieve from the urge to drink, provided his spiritual condition is maintained at the proper level. And for at least two-fifths of our membership, those with addiction and codependence, this teaching is core teaching. It is right in the heart of what addicts and codependents, alcoholics, need to learn. But I don't want to talk about the first drink or the first urge to control a part of the environment. I want to talk about first thoughts. And I want to draw some parallel conclusions about first thoughts for those of us who suffer not only from addiction and codependence, but from PTSD, 
trauma flashbacks, suicidal ideation, and homelessness as well. And I will argue that a suicide attempt is not the result of a single thought. A trauma flashback is not the result of a single thought. Feelings of absolute hopelessness and helplessness are not the result of just one thought. Becoming manically depressed, manically anxious, does not happen because of a single thought. And so hopefully we can all agree that that is indeed the case. And then many clients or many members would say to me, well, yes, but I just can't help the way that I think. The thoughts just seem to happen randomly. They just pour into me, seemingly unannounced for no reason. And I find myself caught up and I don't know what to do. And again, I agree. That is what happens. But those situations always happen in series, maybe very quickly. But there is an initial thought. And that initial thought is random or out of nowhere or unplanned, unwanted, not brought into our being voluntarily. And so there probably, as far as I know and have experienced so far, little defense against that first thought of suicide or that first thought of your trauma event or a future similar trauma event or that first thought of how you're going to save your loved one when you're codependent or that first thought of going to buy dope. I have not yet found a 100% dependable defense against unwanted thoughts. So I'll give you that first thought. But what we're going to discuss a little further is what you do after that first thought. What you can do after that first thought. So here's a few principles to consider. First, there's no defense against that first thought. First thoughts come out of left field. They show up randomly. They show up without intention and without deliberation. That's a given. But another given is only an undisciplined mind will follow that first thought with follow-on thoughts, building and growing that thought into some form of behavior or activity that's destructive. A disciplined mind is one that will notice the danger embedded in that first thought and will work to quickly and strongly shift the directionality of that thought pattern 
No human will on its own can stop the first thought. Willpower can only work on the second thought. And willpower will have the most success with that second thought. Willpower will have less success with a third thought and less than that with the fourth thought and so on down the line when you get to the 100th thought related to putting a needle in your arm your willpower is going to have very little impact on what you end up deciding so the best time for a mindful and thoughtful intervention is the second thought not 10 or 15 thoughts into the process of a habitual behavior. The fourth principle is that willpower can be strengthened like a muscle. You can train it. So the more and more you practice exercising your willpower, the more and more willpower you'll be able to generate when you need it. The fifth principle is that your mind automates everything. It will automate every single process in your life to make it easier for you. Just think about the habit of driving. At one time, it was so completely overwhelming and chaotic, all the things that you needed to do in order to drive that you doubted that you'd be able to do it. But then your mind starts to filter out all the things you don't need to know on a regular basis and focuses in on the things that you do need to know. And then it automates all of those things so that now you drive without even thinking. Habitual behaviors are simply that. Your mind doesn't know the difference between a good behavior or a bad behavior. All it knows is something that you do over and over again, it's going to make it as simple as it possibly can. And if I said, you know, define the process of turning right and you try to do it in words, you would struggle with that. But when you're driving in a car and it's time to turn right, you just do it without thought. Putting a needle in your arm is a learned behavior that your mind has automated for you, just like turning right. Getting to the point of having a gun in your mouth. Getting to the point of being curled up in the fetal position in your bed because you're depressed or afraid. Those are all habitual behaviors that your mind has made very simple for you. And what used to take 10, 15, 20, 100 thoughts to get you into a situation that was dangerous, your mind now knows as soon as that first thought comes, boom, fetal position. As as soon as that first thought comes, boom, go to the dealer's house. The gap between stimulus and response has been shortened to near zero. And as soon as you have a thought, your mind puts your body in action. That's why it's important to become mindful of your thoughts. Recognize that initial thought 
and then be disciplined such that your second thought, by exercising your will, will lead you in a different direction than to the dealer's house or to the drawer by your bed where the gun is kept. And the final principle, the sixth one, is that your living and thinking has to be deliberate. You must live and think on purpose. If you don't master your mind, your mind will master you. You are not your mind. Your mind is a tool for you to utilize while participating in the drama of God's cosmic picture show. So you need to learn how to live and think on purpose. And if you learn how to live and think on purpose, the probability, the likelihood of a single thought leading you down the rabbit hole toward a relapse, a suicide attempt, depression, despair, hopelessness, helplessness, a PTSD flashback, become very, very low, very, very limited. It takes patience and it takes practice. And it takes divine intervention. And it takes the exercise of your God-given free will to decide that you are going to invest in learning how to live and think with deliberation. Live and think on purpose. Again, if you seriously consider your situation, you never get to the point where a gun is in your mouth based on one thought. There are follow-on thoughts and follow-on thoughts. If you break the pattern, the gun doesn't get there. So we're going to outline a few things that you can do that are both short-term and long-term helpers in avoiding self-destruction. And each of these things will be talked about again and again in future episodes of the podcast. The first one is be mindful. Be aware right now on purpose. What are you doing right now? What are you thinking right now? Why are you doing or thinking those things right now? Mindfulness meditation is the single most significant activity that you can perform in order to position yourself to interrupt thought patterns that are involved in your bad habits, your destructive bad habits. If you can't see which thoughts lead to a relapse, which thoughts lead to a suicide attempt, then you aren't going to be in a position to stop either of those things from happening. But by practicing as regularly as possible, being fully in the present moment, watching what you're thinking and what you're doing deliberately, 
will give you the opportunity to recognize a trigger and prevent a relapse. The second thing is you got to be disciplined. Being mindful is simply an observation technique. Discipline means that once you recognize something that's going to lead to a destructive behavior, you do something about it. And it doesn't mean that you do 20 push-ups or 20 pull-ups. You simply have to interrupt the thought pattern so that it doesn't go to where it has always gone before, that it goes somewhere that you have designed on purpose. If you're lazy, if you're undisciplined, and you let that first thought go, and the second thought arises, and the third thought arises, you're losing your ability to control the outcome with your willpower. And you're destined for trouble in those situations. The third thing is you have to be ready. You have to practice daily what your response is going to be to random and dangerous thoughts. So you're mindful of what you are thinking. You're disciplined that you are going to change it if you think something that is dangerous. The third thing is you're going to know what you're going to change it to by being ready. And the way you do that is with practice. The fourth thing is you have to exercise your will, your personal will. You have to learn how to use your willpower. There is a strength within you that comes from the source or from the absolute that you can call upon in order to support you when you need support. You have to be able to look for it, find it, and bring it forth in your defense. The fifth thing is your higher power. You got to find and use your higher power or God to keep you above low level thinking. And what this means is not during a specific event of destructive or dangerous thoughts, but on a daily basis, on a minute to minute basis, maintaining your mental attitude at such a altitude that dipping down into destructive behavior is less and less likely. And I find personally that that is best done by focusing in on the center, the core, the nucleus of who and what I am on a consistent basis, always in the present moment. And the sixth thing is continue to look for and eventually find your center, your truth. Determine exactly what it is that you are and then become acquainted with that which you truly are. Recognize that there is a light in you that can overcome any darkness at any time. That there is a calmness within you. The eye of the hurricane, if you will, is always there in your very center, available for you to call upon when in need. 
you always have the opportunity to rise above any problem, any difficulty, any temptation in the physical and the material world. So I give you that there is very little defense against the first thought. The first thought that leads you to a relapse, to a suicide attempt. I offer alternatives to the second thought. And those alternatives can save your life. What you can do this week is begin watching how you think. Don't identify with the thoughts. Don't identify as the thinker. Be an objective, third-party observer, watching what your mind does and how it does it. Get used to the perspective of that third-person objective observer. Watch the thinking. And as you're watching the thinking, don't condemn the thinking, the thought, the thinker, or yourself for whatever the thoughts are. Just notice them and let them go without judgment, without critique. And when you notice those first thoughts that traditionally in your life have served as triggers, interrupt the pattern that naturally happens. The natural pattern that leads you down the path of destruction and despair. Interrupt it. Interrupt it with light. Interrupt it with music. Interrupt it with prayer. Interrupt it with any, just interrupt the thought. And then notice how difficult it is to get back on track. Repetitively interrupting thought patterns result in new thought patterns. And your new thought patterns, over time, you'll learn will keep you safe. In the meantime, never forget, 